everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I have a guest that you may know of, you may have read her books, followed her work. Her name is Dr. Shafali, and she is known for really being one of the leading experts in conscious parenting. She wrote the books, The Conscious Parent, The Awakened Family, and she has a new book out called Radical Awakening that's about her own awakening into her authentic power, and that teaches you and shares with you how to get rid of your inauthentic self and step into your true, true power. She is a wealth of information and knowledge and has such a big heart. If you don't know who Dr. Shafali is, let me tell you a little bit more. She's an expert in family dynamics and personal development, teaching courses around the globe. She has a doctorate in clinical psychology and specializes in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy, bringing together the best of both worlds for her clients. She's written five books, three of which are New York Times bestsellers. Oprah has endorsed her work as revolutionary and life-changing. I remember seeing her on Super Soul Sunday and just falling in love with her work. She was talking about parenting. I'm not a parent. I wasn't a parent then, but I just I just get it on so many levels. I mean, you hear me coach people on the show, and so much of what we do is tied to childhood and tied to things parents did or didn't do. You know, we have a lot of wounded inner children having children. And Dr. Shafali is really a trailblazer and and helping people wake up so that they don't do to their children what was done to them, so that they don't try to live their life through their children, so that they really know how to nurture a child and allow that child to become fully expressed. Dr. Shafali's groundbreaking approach to mindful living really sets her apart as a leader in the field of mindfulness psychology. And I think you're going to enjoy her range today. We talk about everything from, you know, hitting rock bottom and walking away from things that don't work to conscious parenting, to stepping into our queendom. And don't worry, men, there's lots of tidbits in this for you as well. Before we dive in, I want to thank my sponsor for the week. You've heard me talk about Organifi before. I just love their products so much. I just know I'm getting organic, yummy, great nutrition. One of my favorites is their green juice. I pour it in some water or I take the little individual packs on trips with me and I know I'm getting all kinds of greens and nutrients and things that you know are hard to get when you're on the road or just hard to get when you have a busy lifestyle and it just tastes so good. One of my favorite things as well, especially because I'm having a little back pain lately, is their turmeric gold. I make it hot with some coconut milk and some water, and it tastes delicious. It's my afternoon treat when I'm craving something sweet, but I want it to be healthy as well. And there's so many more incredible products you can get from Organifi. And every time you shop, when you use my code, you get 20% off. So go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it, and use over it in the promo code and you get 20% off your entire order. Enjoy. And now on to my interview with Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali, thank you so much for being on the show. I have respected and admired your work for a really long time and it's such an honor to talk to you. Oh, thank you for having me and thank you for your kind words. Yes, you're really a trailblazer in many areas, especially with parenting. And that's an area that so many of us really are clueless about. And you've just shed so much light on that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. 
But I want to start with talking about you because you have a new book out that's based on your own journey. So I'd like to start there and talk about the radical awakening you had and what radical awakenings really mean and how we can leverage them in our life. Beautiful. So, yeah, uh, you know, I've been on this psychological inquiry and spiritual journey, so to speak, since my early 20s. So I've had many layers of deep epiphanic transformations. But I think my most radical one uh, happened in my mid 40s. And it happened when I had finally, you know, quote unquote, done all the things good girls do. You know, I had a good career, I had uh, done a lot of service, I had had my child, she was now a teenager, I had done the marriage. And that's when I began to observe that I was burning out mm. in my effort to so be the perfect person that we women are often pressured to be by culture. And then we oppress ourselves with this pressure. I just broke, I broke and I, I realized that my goodness, even despite all my, my honest spiritual work and deep uh, inquiry, I was still stuck in the image and idea of the perfect girl and the good girl. And I just dropped it. And my teenage daughter helped me because watching her blossom into her, her own authentic power mm. just told me to cut out the fake personas that I was clinging onto in order to get the last vestiges of love and worth and just untether myself from others and really give it to myself and I began creating new ways of being and new boundaries and my marriage couldn't sustain it uh, because my marriage was used to the old me mm. and I had a tough choice whether to stay and just fit back in or to release it and let go. But my my whole you know, destiny, so to speak, was to find my new self and really allow my new, really my old self, my authentic part to re-blossom. And that's when I got the inspiration to write this book, which uh, I feel very passionately about because I believe many women go through what I went through and constantly go through it. And that's my gift to all women, you know, uh, to find and liberate their authentic self. Mm, there's a lot to unpack in there. And I can relate to this personally in it was my early 30s. I was married and realized I had checked everything off. I had a successful career. I got married by the appropriate age. I mm. had the house and I was miserable. And I just felt like I was living a lie. And I was very much in my spiritual awakening and felt like in my marriage, I either would have to stay asleep and stay in the norm and the conditions that I was married in, or mm -hmm. I was going to have to go and continue on my path. Mm -hmm. And that's a very hard choice to make, whether it was divorce or anything, these, these kind of transitions where you know, there's not like an overt sign, like let's just take marriage. There's not an overt, this person is cheating or this person is abusing you where it's super clear, but it's more, this is not my authentic self. Yeah. And, it, and in your book, you talk about in those moments, we have the choice to stay, change or leave. Mm -hmm. And can you break down each of those choices? Because I bet a lot of our listeners are in this place of something's off and they're trying to decide, do I stay in this job or marriage or whatever? Do I try to change me or others or do I go? 
Yeah, it's always the ultimate fork in the road. You know, should I stay? How do I stay? How do I leave? What do I change? So to stay means to accept. So a woman could say something like, you know, uh, I can't, I can't stand this relationship. I'm really inauthentic, but I have financial issues and I have a young child. So I'm just going to stay and accept that it's sucky yucky for now. But within that sucky yuckiness, I'll find some other uh, compensations. And th- then the woman just reaches a place of acceptance. To change, we can try to change the other. Let's go for couples counseling. Let's go for therapy. Let's go do ayahuasca, whatever. Let's mm-hmm. climb the mountain. And ultimately, you know, we realize the other will not change, but we can try. And sometimes it works. One in every hundred men or hundred partners, hundred females, you know, you could be in a same-sex relationship. They could change. And then leave is really when you've done everything and nothing really uh, changes, then you decide to leave. Now, you can leave emotionally, which means you just take an emotional break, but you're physically still there. And you just create good internal boundaries or you have to physically leave. And that's really a choice that comes at the end of the quest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, through all of this, you're changing yourself. So that's the the essence is that no matter what, whether we like it or not, we will have to change ourselves. So whether we decide to accept things, we have to change ourselves. Yep. To change the other, we have to change ourselves. To leave, we have to change ourselves. So whether we like it or not, changing ourselves is the constant. And we're scared to change ourselves because who wants to change themselves? Like We want to stay in denial. We want to stay in comfort. We want to stay in status quo. So it's really difficult. But let me tell you, and I'm sure you know this already, but to your audience, If we're not constantly adapting and changing, things are going to hit us like a ton of bricks and we're not going to be ready. And just like what happened with the pandemic, those who adapted thrived. Those that clung to the status quo and to how things were and who they were drowned. So it is with every evolving relationship. We must adapt. And that means learning new skills, self-growth, and constantly willing to shed the old. And adapting is actually one of the superpowers of the feminine. It's something that women and those of us that have that identify and have that feminine essence, that's one of our superpowers. I Um, agree. But our superpowers get rather muted. And I want to go back and talk about what you said about being the perfect person and the good girl. And there's so many reasons for this. I mean, we can point to conditioning, societal expectations, patriarchy, all of that. And we can also look at what happened to us in childhood. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about on this show is in childhood, things happen that were trauma too much, too fast, too soon, or challenging, or just forced us to form some kind of belief of not being enough, or this is what I need to do to, to earn love. And that perfection and that people pleaser is a big one I see a lot of women adopt as a strategy, as almost a compensatory strategy of this is who I need to be in order to belong, in order to get love. Could mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about how this kind of obsession with being a perfect person forms? Oh my goodness. It forms so easily, really, in childhood where this culture of manic perfection, performance, competition, striving, doing, creates this image that we need to be this exalted kind of all-rounder in order to feel worthy. 
it's not something we've just conjured. It's something that was definitely put on us. You know, we, we parents and we do it to our own children and we were raised in, in such a way. We want to have our children be a little bit of Michael Phelps and a little bit of Julia Roberts and a little bit of Yo-Yo Ma and a little bit of Mother Teresa. <laughs> you know, we want like, we want that if you're a parent, we're like, we want them to be everything when we are nothing, right? We are just like maybe one or two things. But because we have this incomplete sense of void within us, we are constantly compensating that through a fantasy of complete arrogant delusion. And we impose that on our children. Look at us, how we are with our beauty. Look at look at women out there, right? I mean, <laughs> we've literally taken apart our body and tried to perfect every part of it. Mm-hmm. There are lip tattoos now and eyebrow tattoos and eyelash extend, uh, no, magnetic eyelashes. And then I, I don't even know, I can't keep up. And then there's <laughs> oh, yellow perfectors and then vagina perfectors and then this elbow and we've taken apart every part of our body. You know, it used to be the boobs. Now it's the butt, then it's the hip, then it's the waist. Then it's, mm-hmm. and listen, I, I want it all too. I look at it and I go, well, I can do it. Oh, I'll just take out 16 of my bones. <laughs> <laughs> because it becomes normal, right? It used to be absurd. Now it's normal. So then we normalize this insanity. So we were raised like that. Okay, just do this and just do a sport and just play an instrument and just ski backwards and just learn sign language. And, you know, slowly things keep adding on and we think we have to be all those things. Mm. So because we women in our feminine are natural accommodators, we our body stretches to accommodate our babies, our breasts lactate to feed our young, our vaginas swell and open up to give birth. Because in our nature, in our fabric is adaptability. But that adaptability gets mutated into toxic adaptability, where we have now obliterated ourselves for the sake of that image, for that sake of that giving, for that sake of that ideal. So where is it our nature? And then where is it our sickness? Right. Mm -hmm. And and we have become sick. It's one thing to want to look beautiful and be desirable. That's part of our biological imprint. But it's another thing to freaking mutate ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And the more we do that, the more we lose our authentic self. And I think a lot of people hear that term authentic self. I want to get in touch with my authentic self or my real self or my true self, Mm -hmm. but we don't really know what that means. And we especially don't know how to find it. Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about what our authentic self is and, and how we can go about really discovering her? Yeah, it's not easy to discover her. It requires what I've written in my book, an entire pathway and a real confrontation with the bullshit we have believed in. So it's not an easy process. It's a brutal process to awaken. Everyone wants to awaken to their authenticity. And I tell people, okay, you think you <laughs> Yeah, put on your seatbelts. It's going to be bumpy. It's going to be brutal Mm -hmm. because you have to deconstruct all the fake false narratives that you have indoctrinated through culture. You're going to have to do a serious psychic deconstruction. And who wants to do that? We want to believe what we believe. And to look in the mirror and to say who said that and where did that come from? And to go through that painful dissection is brutal. So the authentic self is one who then understands that all she has believed is mainly false. And therefore, who she is authentically is without those belief systems, is someone who is not tethered 
to the opinions and the standards of culture and who is willing to be brave and maverick and courageous enough to walk away from it. Mm. So that's what I feel I've done finally in my own life is walk away. Mm. And when you walk away, you think you're going to continue to feel plagued. But when you've reached a certain level of evolution and inner wholeness, you can actually walk away. Mm. And and the people who need to stay, stay, but you don't even need them to stay. If they stay, it's great. Like, hey, good, you stayed. But you don't need them anymore. And, and people think that that's a very cold, detached way of living. But no, it's not. It's actually the most interconnected way of living because you're not impinging on people, begging them to stay when they don't want to stay themselves. Now it's wholeness meets wholeness. And whoever stays is staying out of complete wanting willingness and a complete desire to grow with you. So it's not out of compulsion, not out of obsession, not out of dependency or need or fear. Mm. So now I have relationships in my life which are, no longer maintained because of obligation and fear, but out of complete volition and freedom. I love that. I was listening to another interview you did and you talked about your divorce. You were talking about your divorce and you said something along the lines of there wasn't blame. It was no one's fault. It was, it was conditioning. And I thought that was such an important point and I'm going to ask you to expand on it. And for women or anyone who's thinking of maybe leaving a marriage or leaving a friendship or leaving a job, I think this concept of it's no one's fault, it's just, it's just conditioning that got us in this situation and I'm unconditioning myself to get us, get me out of it really can provide some relief for people that are in that place of maybe feeling a lot of guilt about leaving a situation or a relationship. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, our our primitive childish patterns and habits are to blame ourselves or blame others because it gives us a momentary steroid injection of power Mm. in a weird way, right? Blaming others especially feels really powerful in the moment, but blaming ourselves too, you know, it's just a passive apathy that we employ to avoid the real issue. What is the real issue? The real issue is that We were unconscious, we were conditioned, we came with emptiness and holes, and we used each other to fulfill a function. It was highly transactional. It was full of dependency, fear, and control and possession. It was not the highest transcendent love because we didn't have it for ourselves. And that's the end of the story. We both co-created the bullshit. And one could have done it through slapping, but one took it through taking the slapping. So, and the other took it through acquiescing. So it doesn't, there's no holier than thou perspective. We just need to get the hell out of there and start again. And only when we have released through true growth, don't run away, really work on it and work through it and then decide to leave. Don't just leave out of instinct instinct and, and blame and resentment because you're going to carry all that load with you and you've not worked through anything. But there's no one to blame, neither you nor the other. Both were enmeshed in a codependent, toxic relationship out of complete and utter co-creation. And that is the evolved way to see these things and to perceive these things and to release these things. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things that you did that really helped you move through this process? I know that people can get radical awakening and really get (laughs) more details about it, but can you just give us a couple highlights of some of the things that really helped you? Because I can imagine people listening are going, I want this. This all sounds amazing, but how, how, how? 
Well, I did a lot of brutal self-examination and really was very honest and transparent and naked with myself. And I did not allow myself to get into victim consciousness. I did not allow myself to blame the other. I really took responsibility. I took accountability for all the times that I allowed myself to stay silent in the past, all the ways I created my own bullshit, all the ways I created my own suffering. I just released the other person as a persona non grata. Sorry to talk like that, but we have to do that in order to really take accountability. So I rendered everyone blameless. They did not even exist in my drama. I just took all accountability. How did I create my my suffering? How did I contribute to my bullshit? How did I stay in fantasy? How did I keep waiting when I should not have kept waiting? How did I keep holding out for hope when it was empty? I just really did not take the gas off the pedal, the, the, the foot off the gas and, and, and allow myself even the slightest laziness and uh, childishness to blame somebody else. It was nobody's responsibility for them to make me happy. It was nobody's job. It was all mine and I did not do a good job. So I took responsibility. Okay, you did not love yourself enough. You did not honor yourself. You didn't see the signs. You didn't have boundaries. You kept waiting for the other to stop taking so you could stop giving. No, it doesn't work like that. Shafali, you needed to do it for yourself. Mm. Why did you take charge? Why didn't you be the leader? Why didn't you say no? Oh, because I was scared. Well, then why didn't you get out? Oh, because I wanted. Well, then why did you want? You know, I was just relentless with myself. And I wanted to squirm and get away from my own, like, execution. But I I had to execute my bush. Mm. You know, I had to let my inauthentic self go through an execution. Mm. I had to. And we don't want that because we want to bullshit and we want to blame and we go, well, if the other had done this, then I would have. No, 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 no. There is no ifs and buts and thens and 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 ends. It's all us taking accountability. And that's really the radical part of my book, A Radical Awakening. The radical part is that there is no one to blame. Yeah. And, this, and not don't even blame yourself. Well, that, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That's the tricky part. Because I know after my divorce, and this was, wait, more than a decade ago, I, well, about a decade ago, I definitely took accountability, but that that accountability would slip into self-blame pretty easily. And I had to be very mindful of this. So how can we be in that place of accountability and be executing our inauthentic self but not go into any kind of self-blame or criticism. Right. Self-blame and criticism is not acceptance. Mm -hmm. Accountability is radical acceptance. You see, Mm -hmm. self-blame and other blame is resistance, is petulance, is childishness, is looking for something to target the anger toward. It doesn't matter if it's yourself or the other. It's just still being in resistance. Acceptance is full-on ownership of each one's unconsciousness and therefore each one's co-creation. So I refused to be in resistance. So the minute I blamed myself, that means I was saying in a in a translated way, why wasn't I different? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I do no better? Why, why, why? Whining, petulant, you know, uh, tantrumy. There's no why. The reason I wasn't or I couldn't is because I was not conscious enough. Exactly. And I needed to accept that without grandiosity, without delusion that I should have been different 
no, sorry, you're not that amazing. You were not yeah. accepted. You were utterly, grossly out of sync and unconscious. I say this to parents all the time because parents come to me and go, how could I have slapped my kid? How could I have yelled at my kid? I go, how? Very easy. You were unconscious. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? What is this how? You know, we have this holier than thou attitude about ourselves. How could I have done that? <laughs> you could have very easily done that because you were just unconscious. So please don't think that you should have been different. That's resistance. Accept that you were bloody unconscious. Very hard to accept. So we pretend that we should have been different when we weren't. Yep. You know, so we play games like this. And uh, I refused to do that to myself. So I'm like, there's no one to blame. You were bloody unconscious. There's no one to, he's not to blame. He was unconscious. It was the perfect, perfect meeting of unconscious souls. How beautiful. Love yourself and the other for how sweetly you found each other to play out your childhood dramas. Yep. How sweet you both were. You know, you're idiots, but it's not your fault. You know, you were, you were, you were paired too young. I was 21 when I met my ex and the wow. poor guy was 26, I think, or five. What I was an immigrant in a new country and I stayed for 25 years. I look at it like, wow, how gorgeous you all both were. How amazing you all both were. You know, he looked at it as a failure for a long time. I, I, I think he may still do. You know, it's hard for men to not look at things dualistically. But I begged him to not look at it as a failure. Mm -hmm. And he was mm -hmm. like, how could I not look at it? How else to look at it? I go, you're, you're just subscribing to culture. Then how can 25 years be a failure? Yeah. It is the gorgeous thing in the world. It's the most, you know, touching thing in the world. And look at where, where it got you. Like, look at what this marriage and everything that it triggered uh, and everything that it brought up and all the wounds it activated and all the patterns you got to play out, like it started to bring all that unconscious stuff to the conscious level. And we need those triggering events in order to see it. If, if we don't have a triggering event, like a relationship to catalyze it, how do we ever know? How do we ever know? So these things are so useful. And that was such a thing for me with my divorce is not seeing it as a failure, but really seeing it as a necessary step in my evolution. It was needed. There was a soul contract. We learned what we needed to learn. And luckily we were young, we weren't married long and we both were able to move on. And I'm remarried now. I it was like eight years later that I met my husband now. And it's a completely different feeling because mm -hmm. I knew who I was. I spent that time after my divorce. I wrote a book after my divorce too, of just going in and being like, all right, like I am pulling back all the layers. I'm taking responsibility. I'm really going to learn. You know, I had that period of blaming myself and probably a little bit in victim too. Mm -hmm. But I think it was about two years after my divorce that I was like 100% responsibility and I'm going to milk this for all it's worth. I'm really going to learn from it. And I think this is such an important shift in our consciousness mm -hmm. is that we don't look at anything as a quote unquote failure. And I love what you said about not beating ourselves up for, you know, it's like taking information we know now and then going back in like a time machine and beating our past self up with information we didn't have then. And so compassion for ourselves, I'm huge on self-compassion. I know you are too, is necessary. Like that accountability, but also massive self-compassion because without that, how do we move forward, right? Correct, correct. It's understanding that we cannot be conscious beyond our consciousness. So to expect ourselves to be evolved when consciousness is something that evolves 
is is going against the understanding of the growth model of consciousness. We must grow into consciousness. We're not born conscious. We were born more conscious, but then we were abducted from consciousness, and now we're recovering, and we're trying to refine ourselves. So to then blame ourselves that we should have known better is just completely cruel to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How can we know better when we had not yet? We've not yet arrived there. Yeah. Oh, there's so much, so much more to say, but I, I really encourage everyone to go pick up Dr. Shafali's new book, Radical Awakening. It's, it's really juicy. I just started it and I'm already loving it and relate to so much of it too. And I, I want to segue and talk about parenting because I know this is another area that you just have so much wisdom on. Mm-hmm. And the first, the question I want to start with is how does our own childhood impact mm-hmm. our ability to parent or impact our parenting yeah in every 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 way you know if in our childhood we were abdicated from our authentic self if we were denied our feelings if we were shamed and guilted and not nurtured and caretaked then we will project all these unmet needs and expectations onto our children it's just going to be a knee jerk instinctive Response, and that's what my work is about: is helping parents understand that the only child they need to raise is the one within themselves. Because when they are raised in wholeness and consciousness and abundance, then they can see their children for who it is they are. Then they can accept their children for who it is they are, because they have they have worked on their inner wounds and and integrated the wholeness. So they're not projecting this inner lack onto their children. Otherwise, for the most part, we just project our lack and our expectations onto our children and expect them to be the instruments to fulfill that. Mm. That is a lot of pressure to be born with. (laughs) A lot of pressure. That's what we do to our children. We don't see them for their authentic destiny. We see them as little molds of clay that we get to mold into uh, who we want, into this spitting image of our fantasy of who they should be. And generation after generation does this. And this is why we are who we are on this planet. Mm. So for a parent that may be listening right now and think, ooh, I might be doing this. What are some clues that they're doing this? And and what are some shifts they can start to make? Really to wake up and say, see how they're projecting their needs onto their children, like a huge wake up call, like, oh, my goodness, I'm forcing my kid to play piano because that was my dream to be a successful musician or I'm projecting my need to fit in on my child. So when my child doesn't get invited for a birthday party, I go crazy. But instead of helping my child, I'm teaching her to be anxious about these things. You know, we have to watch how our own issues impede upon our children and how it contours them and how it shapes them because we haven't done our work of healing and integrating from within ourselves. It's a huge wake-up call for a parent to realize that they are dumping their crap on their children. Just that, you know? I think there's also societal conditioning that we should just sacrifice everything for our children and put all our energy and effort into them. And there's no time to work on me because I have to just put all my attention and effort into my child. I think that's a little backwards. I'd love you to speak to that because I see that happen, especially with moms all the time. They don't, they don't focus on themselves. They don't work on themselves. I mean, from self-care to really awakening, it's, it's all the focus is on the kid. 
Exactly. And and the reason the focus is on the kid is because now we're going to make this kid everything that we couldn't be. Mm-hmm. We're going to carve this kid into a little product or puppet or doll so that we can finally feel worthy. So what we couldn't do with ourselves and we couldn't achieve the love and worth from our parents, we're going to try to get this kid to be the conduit to give us the love and worth. Mm. Uh, that's again, a lot of pressure on those kids. And I think one of the reasons kids rebel and react is because they can feel this is not me. Let me be me. And why so many kids go into that perfectionist or that people pleaser, because they're not being allowed to be their authentic self. Mm-hmm. So how do we really, as parents, how do we nurture the child's authentic self and understand the child does, it comes through us, but the child isn't ours. It doesn't belong to us. Mm-hmm. It's difficult for the child, for the parent to come to that. But when the parent realizes that they in their own lives were split off from their authenticity and when they get in touch with their own grieving around that, maybe then they can see how their parents use them for their own parents movie. And if they get in touch with that pain, that's when I see parents making the shift to go, oh my goodness, I can't do the same thing to my kid. I cannot ruin my kid and own them the way my parents owned me. Mm. 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 I'm just going to let that land for people. Really think about Mm -hmm. that. Think about how your parents quote unquote owned you Mm -hmm. and think of the unraveling you had to do to find your authentic self because a lot of at least a lot of my awakening and really finding my authentic self was looking at what happened in childhood, not just from my parents, but peers, society, movies, all that kind of stuff, where we're constantly exposed mm-hmm. to things that program us rather than encourage us to be our authentic self. We mm-hmm. have way more programming than we do encouragement to be on our authentic self, which is why your work is so important is because you're advocating for parents to really allow their child to teach them who they're going to be rather than the parent decide who the child's going to be. Mm -hmm. Another really big thing I see, especially with moms, and this is kind of what we've been talking about, but a little different is mom, you know, is so good at loving the kid, but like not very good at self-love and feels tremendous guilt when she turns her own awareness on herself and her own time on herself. Can you speak to mom guilt and how mothers can free themselves from unnecessary guilt? A lot of the guilt is just part of what I said in the radical awakening. It's unrealistic expectations coming out of a weird narcissistic arrogance. Like we should do it all, be there for them all. The kid cannot experience any pain. I'm there to rescue them. I'm there to create everything. I'm there to give the kid a perfect life. What? Well, where where did this insanity come from? It comes from this idea of perfection, which is unrealistic and comes out of a delusion. There is no guilt. We can only do what we can do. And if we accept ourselves, we won't have guilt. We have guilt because we're pushing ourselves relentlessly to be this inordinate uh, standard of of ungodly perfection that no one can really achieve. And we're flogging ourselves Mm. out of self-loathing, really. Guilt is really 
you know, a subset of self-loathing. And it's not fair to us that we do it, but we do it because we have this standard that we're trying to achieve. So when we don't achieve the standard, we have guilt. Oh, I should have baked 10,000 cookies for, for Girl Scouts Day, or I should have, you know, washed her cloth nappies, or I should never give the kid television. Well, you know what to do. We live in a crazy world right now where we don't live in a tribe and we don't have anything in terms of community. So we, we're, we're burning out and we're putting all this pressure on ourselves. And then, of course, we do it to feel self-loathing, which is guilt. Mm. You know, we flog ourselves, then we go eat, then we become overweight, then we're unhappy with our bodies, then we go medicate, then we're addicted to pills. You know, it's a constant, uh, relentless uh, conveyor belt of endless dominoes that we don't know how to hop off of. And it all comes from an inner awakening. Really, the book, A Radical Awakening, is the book for every parent because it so teaches the mothers, especially, to get off this, this relentless uh, roller coaster of perfectionism. Mm. Do you think that that the book you just released, Radical Awakening, is is a good first book to read before The Conscious Parent for people who haven't read that? Like awaken themselves first and then go read The Conscious Parent. What order would you say for people? <laughs> Now what to do? Now I've written both these. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think if it's a mother, then I would say read A Radical Awakening and then read A Conscious Parent. If it's just a parent as in a dad, I would say start with A Conscious Parent. You know, either one, either way you get in, but to read all is good. My second book is called Out of Control, Why Disciplining Doesn't Work. Mm-hmm. I personally love that book almost as much as the others, but it's not gotten attention. And then the third book is called The Awakened Family, which is my third gorgeous parenting book. And after that, I, won't, I haven't written anymore because that one really was the ultimate uh, in terms of my parenting uh, mm-hmm. education that I could give. So I love all my books. I know I sh- I, that probably sounds boastful, but I'm like, what the heck? I really do. No, love- this is your this is your <laughs> life's work, both in profession yeah. and in your personal and life. Something, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and each one gives something very you know powerful and profound. So uh, I would say reading them all as a set, one after the other, really will embed the teachings deeply within the person. And I don't think you can be the same after you've read all four of them. And I know you've answered this in a variety of ways, but I just want to land it for people. What's your definition of a conscious parent? Is one who understands that the raising of the child is the raising of the inner child. And mm-hmm. until that child is not raised, we will not be able to raise the child before us. Oh, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I couldn't agree mm-hmm. more. I work with so many people and most of the time I'm working with their inner child. And mm-hmm. and one thing that I see that's interesting is especially with moms, they'll be these awesome moms. They'll give so much love to their own children and their own inner child will be so activated because they're, they feel so deprived. They feel so, for lack of a better word, jealous that these kids are getting all this attention and the inner child, the little girl inside is feeling so abandoned and so neglected. And yeah. th- that helps, I think, with the mom guilt too, really realizing you have a little one in there who needs your love and attention too. And until you satisfy that little one and become the parent they never had and have that healthy relationship, being a conscious parent is going to be really difficult because you're all you're, you're always parenting yourself through your children instead of just parenting yourself and then being a parent to your children. I, I see the same thing with a lot of healers and therapists. They peel themselves through their clients and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa back up, really do your own work. Yeah. then go out and help, then go out and serve. I mean, we, we're always learning and growing, but I think that there's some pretty biggies that we all have inside of us that 
our requirements to heal before we go out and heal others or help to help others or become parents, which brings me to my next question about parenting. Who's really fit to be a parent? How do we know for people that haven't had kids when we're ready to be a parent? Like you just said, we can't be at this ultimate state of evolution, but you at least need to have done some inner work and are willing to understand that a lot of your stuff will emerge, that you will have to integrate and heal. You know, you're never really ready to be a parent. Technically, no one is ready to be a parent. Right. <laughs> and we should have done some you know, some serious inner work before we dare to become a parent. I mean, I had done so much work. I was a meditator and I still messed up. So <laughs> it's not to say that you won't mess up, but at least you'll be better prepared to understand the mess up and you won't ruin your kid, you know? What are some of your favorite ways to work with your inner child? First, to know it, know its faces, know how when it is activated how my ego gets deployed you know so for me my when I get anxious or insecure I kind of shut down mm, me um, too. and so knowing that so recognizing it when it happens and then just soothing my inner child so I don't have to use um these kind of are you know military means to protect <laughs> So I think recognition, awareness, and great soothing, you know, in a soothing and wholeness, loving myself and celebrating myself. And, and I've really come to a place now that I really adore myself. Mm -hmm. And I think when, when women say they love themselves, they feel this, you know, shame, shamelessness descend upon themselves because they're not allowed to be like I was boasting about my books. You know, we're not we're not supposed to boast about books. We're not supposed to boast about our own achievements. And I'm like, what? Why? Why should we only boast about other people? Exactly. Why don't we adore ourselves? So now I say I adore myself. Mm. I love myself. I but I do. Like, why should I lie? Why should I pretend I only love my child? Mm. Or is that the only way to get sanctified and to get recognition? Like, why can't I have validity in saying I adore myself? So you know, we have all these misbeliefs about how we need to be with ourselves that I really debunk in all my work. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, and, and your team, this next, this last question up perfectly with what you just said. And the question is, how do we really step into our queen energy? Again, just by, like I said, like celebrating ourselves, understanding that we are deserving, we are worthy we are we are as important as the next person and uh, really um, claiming it and, and not bullshitting this life away by pretending like we're not amazing mm -hmm. and that other people are amazing. I mean, that's the biggest lie in the world. It's such a hip hypocrisy. It's such a glaring irony that, oh, other people are important, but not you. I mean, it's, it's almost absurd. And so when you realize that, then you're like, hey, no more. I'm going to live this life to my fullest, to my bestest, to my grandest, to my biggest. And I'm not going to dim myself any longer. Yeah. And I'm going to walk away from the things that aren't in alignment with my authentic self. I'm going to have the courage to walk away and walk towards the things that really are, which mm -hmm. is so much of what you talk about in Radical Awakening. 
Oh, Dr. Shafali, well, I adore you. Thank you so much for an incredible body of work. Thank you for being vulnerable and really sharing your experience. I think that that helps so many people not feel alone and really relate to all the information that you're sharing. You're such an incredible blend of- So much. Thank you for being such a supporter. And and I adore you too. I just met you, but I'm here to support you as well. And that's what we sisters need to do for each other. And that's how we will heal the wounds of this very- pained cultural patriarchy we live in. And so I I honor you for doing this work. Thank thank you for amplifying my message and your own. And uh, we're here to support Mm. each other. So thank you again. My pleasure. We are shifting it. We're shifting it. It's really amazing. It's an amazing time to be alive. So I imagine everyone can get your books on Amazon. They can connect with you on um, your website, which I'll link in the show notes, any other place that you want people to connect with you. They can just go to my Instagram at D-O-C-T-O-R for Dr. Shifali or to my website, drshifali.com. And they'll see lots of videos that I have a coaching institute where I coach people to become parent, conscious parent coaches if they want to explore that. I have lots of courses. Uh, I'm having a huge sale. I have a huge sale, 50% off twice a year. It's coming up in a few weeks if people want to explore that. Um, So yes, that's how they can find me. Amazing. All kinds of great places. Thank you so much. Thank you. 